text for this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. We are finishing up the series on the Beatitudes. We'll begin reading from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through verse 12. This also is God's holy word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word, that your word is truth. You have given us warnings. And Father, we acknowledge how oftentimes we are unbelieving, that you have said so clearly in your word that those who follow Jesus Christ will suffer persecution that the world will not, will not accept us as their own because you have called us out of the world. And they hated you. They called you Beelzebul. And Father, how much worse should we expect to have it? But yet we still think that we can make peace with the world, that we can be your friend and a friend of the world. And Father, we pray that you would teach us your holy ways, that your warnings are right that it is not possible to do so, that Jesus did not do that. And they crucified him and spat on him and murdered him. Father, we pray that we would be willing to walk on that narrow way through the small gate. Father, we pray that you would grant us resilience, that you would grant us courage, that we would be willing to go against the grain, that we would follow Jesus Christ however unpopular it is. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in each of our lives, that you would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know you, we pray that you might do a mighty work. Father, that you freely offer salvation, the forgiveness of sins to sinners. And we thank you, Father, that it's not by our works that we're saved. It's only by your grace. And it's only by faith that we may receive our righteousness. We thank you that Jesus indeed is our righteousness. And we confess none of our own. We pray, Father, that your son Jesus would be exalted. That your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. When you think back to the history of the church... Persecution for the sake of righteousness, for the name of Jesus Christ, that that was the norm. It's not as if 
uh, the, the, what we have right here, right now in our country is somehow the norm. Don't think of that. The norm has been persecution throughout history. Think back to um, in the English Reformation, there was uh, the Church of England, uh, Thomas Cranmer. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury, so he's basically the, the head of the Church of England. That he was burned at the stake because he refused to agree to the doctrine of transubstantiation. This is the Roman Catholic teaching in the, um, the Lord's Supper that the bread and the wine literally become the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, that he, ref he refused that. Uh, and he was eventually burned at the stake. He, he wrote a recantation of his belief, saying he agreed to what the Roman Catholics taught, and then later he recanted it. And then when he was being burned at the stake, he stuck his hand, he was standing in, in, in the fire pit, he stuck his hand deeper into the fire because he had said, this is the hand that signed the recantation. And he publicly recanted any such thing. All this, all this to say that this man, Thomas Cranmer, was in the English-speaking world. That you, you think about England, if you're Anglophiles, and it's very easy, you can think about the Queen of England, whoever she was, and, and uh, throughout history, that they look around, they say, well, these people who run around in, in, in loincloths are savages. But how savage was it to murder this man, Thomas Cranmer, for his faith? In Jesus Christ, because he would not subscribe to transubstantiation. So don't say it can't happen in a civilized country. Don't say it can't happen here. It happened in England. And he wasn't the only one. There are others like him. So first off, we, we need to understand this very idea that Jesus warned us about these things. Don't dismiss his warnings. When we think about these Beatitudes, they come within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ the best preacher there ever was, and the best sermon that ever was preached. And as he gets to these Beatitudes, it's like, the, it's like the coat check at the door. And hopefully as you've seen these, that you're listening to them, and you're saying, that is true Christianity. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Each one of these things. Think about being poor in spirit. And being meek and mourning for our own sins. Being merciful, being pure in heart. That these things, they are not, they're emphatically not optional. They're not optional. Every Christian needs to manifest these things. And then we get to the last one. This persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It's as if this is a double beatitude because there are two blessings attached to it. And that. When we say they're not optional, this of all of them is not optional. You cannot say, hey, exempt me from the persecution part and I will be willing to do the others double time. No, this, this one's at the end and it's double because you have to ask yourself the question, is Jesus worth it to you? If you're unwilling to suffer for Jesus Christ, then there's got to be something that's not quite right in our hearts. The truth that we see in Matthew 5, 10 to 12 here. Heaven belongs to you who consider the reproaches of Christ of greater worth than all the treasures of this world. Heaven belongs to you who consider the reproaches of Christ 
of greater worth than all the treasures of this world. We'll look at this in three points. The first, the persecution that is blessed by God. Second, the types of persecution that Christians must endure. And third, the reasons for rejoicing in persecution. So the first one, persecution that is blessed by God. Here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Notice here, it doesn't say blessed are the persecuted. It doesn't say blessed are those who are mistreated. The scriptures warn, scriptures warn that uh, our mistreatment must, should not be justly received. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4, if any of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler, that our persecution must not be because we are, are immoral, if we are uh, unethical, or if we're some kind of trouble, troublesome meddler. This is what preachers get accused of. Hey, he's talking about my life here, and he's starting to meddle. But we shouldn't go around meddling people's business, telling people how to do things. And if, if, if it's the case that you are caught in some kind of crime, some kind of sin, then you must endure that punishment justly, patiently, and accept what is due you. But here, that's not saying that's the persecution that's blessed. That's just penalty for sins. That instead we ought to live upright and godly lives in Christ Jesus. There is shame that is fit for suffering, for justice. But there is no shame that is involved with suffering as a Christian. That we ought not to be ashamed when we suffer as a Christian. You think about the ways in which Christians uh, are persecuted for reasons other than righteousness. For example, there might be an eagerness, uh, a glorying in persecution. You can think about some, perhaps some... Uh, young people who would stand in front of the entrance, blocking the entrance of a store, trying to proselytize and evangelize people and heckling people who are trying to go into the store. And then eventually uh, the, store, the store staff or owners, they call the police, and these Christians are taken away. And, and then these people go about saying, hey, we were persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, no, you were persecuted for being foolish, right? This is a business, right? You're obstructing their business. Be wise in your actions. So we ought not to think that somehow uh, being unloving or unkind or lacking compassion uh, or any of those things, right? For example, a very simple example, uh, someone's uh, aging parent recently died, right? And you ask about them. Well, they didn't know the Lord. Well, you realize that they're in hell. Well, this is, this is something that, that wouldn't be charitable at all. I mean, it's not, it's not appropriate to the situation, right? Someone is in grief, right? You just heard about this, right? This is, this is not the time to, to say such a matter. I, I don't know if, if, if it's ever appropriate to say such a thing, right? But you think about it. Uh, these are ways in which being unwise, unkind, unloving oftentimes comes upon us as Christians and we cannot say that that's persecution and that we cannot uh, hope for and pray for blessing for those things. A business person, 
If, if someone is, is in business and if, uh, if they're active politically, taking strong political stances, and they lose half their business because, uh, because they're, they, they're, they're often saying harsh or hasty words, hey, this is part of being unwise. This is part of being, uh, uh, doing things that are harmful for oneself. That we need to be learned to be discreet in our words. That we need to learn to be charitable in our words. Also, the suffering that is common to life, uh, the result of the fall, uh, the result of sin in general, not sin specifically. So, for example, the degradation of the body, that uh, as people age, you notice that joints don't uh, have as much flexibility. Uh, that things start to deteriorate. And that is part of the reminder that as the body is wasting away inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So that's, that's good to be reminded of. But uh, that's not the suffering or the being persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's also that's the type of suffering that's due to one's ethnicity or social economic class or occupation or political agendas. I think back to World War II, and particularly in California, that uh, the United States government took an entire group of people, the Japanese, many of whom were citizens, many of whom uh, whose fathers and husbands were fighting as soldiers in World War II in Europe, that they interned their families. And here, we can say that that was an unjust action. Hey, how, how can you intern people as traitors when they have sons and husbands who are fighting in the war that your country has, has committed or has, has gotten itself involved in? Here, we can say in that situation, though, it was unjust to intern those people, that it wasn't suffering for righteousness' sake. hope you can see the difference. It's because of their ethnicity. It wasn't because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So what are some of the ways in which... Uh, persecution is blessed. We hear in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That is, for doing what is right before God. A good example of this we find in the person of Joseph. Think about him. How he was treated by his brothers. And then he ends up in the home of Potiphar. So he was he was uh, mistreated by his brothers. They threw him in a pit. And uh, they had this self-righteous speech. Hey, how can we kill him? He is our flesh and blood. So let's sell him into slavery instead. And that, that somehow is acceptable to our flesh and blood. So they sell him to these, was it these um, Ishmaelites, these traders, uh, caravan. And, and he gets sold to Potiphar, uh, someone in, in Egypt. And there... Potiphar's wife notices him, and she tries to seduce him to commit adultery. And he says, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? So he's saying, no, I can't do that. He didn't want to be with her, right? And there was one occasion where she grabs him by the clothing, and he lets the clothing go and runs away. And that's when she accuses him falsely. And uh, you have to wonder what Potiphar actually believed because if he actually believed her you think that he would at least castrate him or, or maybe execute him but he didn't, he had him thrown into prison 
Or maybe that's just the providence of God that none of those things happened. But the bottom line is here, for righteousness sake, he was saying, I'm not going to do this great evil against God. Regardless of what carnal reasoning he may have, he says, I'm not going to do it. That was suffering for righteousness sake. So for righteousness sake, what is that? There has to be a right cause. There has to be a right cause. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. You think about what John the baptizer did. That John the baptizer, he went to Herod and told him that it wasn't right for him to have his brother's wife. And then you look at what came to him. You ask yourself, was it required that John the baptizer do that? I don't think we are called to call out every single possible thing. But apparently for John, there was something significant about this ruler doing it. And the result was John's head ended up on the platter because Herodias, the wife of Herod, did not like that. And so he died. That was a just cause, a right cause. But you and I need to be asking, is every battle a hill to die on? Is every beef worth making? And if it's not worth dying for, is it worth fighting for? You think about, for righteousness sake, besides being a right cause, there must also be a good conscience involved in it. Meaning that you can have a right cause, but if your heart is in the wrong place, then your conscience is corrupted and the whole thing is lost. You could be fighting for the right cause, but if your heart is in the wrong place, you don't have a good conscience, then it's no longer good. 1 Peter 3.16 And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So keep a good conscience. Besides righteousness' sake, the persecution for righteousness' sake, there's also verse 11 that Jesus mentions on my account. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Meaning, for the name of Christ. It's because of the name of Christ. 1 Peter 4.14 If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So you think about how this might come about. This might come about because you're actually sharing the good news of the gospel with someone else. You're bearing testimony of the gospel that God commanded us to bear. It might be in how you're living. So you, you were kind about it. I'd like to share with you the gospel. Hey, I, I'm not at all interested. Okay, well, that's fine. Accept that. You know, you, you would still extend kindness. You don't cut, cut off conversation, but you continue to extend kindness. But uh, then people are standing back watching. They're saying, I don't know, watch this person. And then uh, they notice the type of life that you live. And you live an upright life where you show kindness to neighbors. And then people, the, the neighbor that you tried to talk with to share the gospel with, say, well, okay, well, I don't like that. You know, the, the things... They stand for uh, their good reputation. So they start to say evil about you. And you know, you know how gossip goes, right? People are often eager to receive 
a horrible word about someone. And this is where the scriptures even say that they don't understand why you're not involved in the same heap of dissipation that they are. So they malign you. They revile you. They slander you. And some people, not being wise, are eager to receive that about you. And so it goes. But perhaps here would be a good time to ask this question. On my account, you ask, why would someone put up with this? Why would someone say, that is blessed. That is to be blessed for someone who's suffering on the account of Christ. The only way you could ever say that is good is because you're believing Jesus at his word because he says it is good, it is blessed. And then you realize this phrase, on my account, that you might ask, well, who suffered from me? And that's when you realize Jesus suffered on behalf of sinners on my account. The only way you will ever say, I'll be willing to be shamed, I'll be willing... Uh, to be rejected, I'll be willing to be tortured for Jesus Christ is because you first realize Jesus suffered far, far more on my account. He died the very death that I deserve to die. He died on the cross. He, it wasn't the physical suffering. It was the wrath of God that he bore, the infinite wrath of God to cover for all the sins of his people. And when you undergo those difficulties, you and I need to be asking that, that those three words, on my account, Christ suffered for me. Is this a small thing that I should bear? You think about the things that we want. Well, well Jesus, I really like the crown that you promised me. I'm looking forward to that. But you know what? When you said... Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me daily. I don't like that part. I want the crown. I don't want the cross. Jesus never gives it to us that way. He had said, there is the cross, and then the crown. He went through the cross, and he got his crown. And he's saying that following him, there is the path of the cross. And then we have the crown. Not that we work for it and earn it in any way, no. But that is the pattern of the Christian life. This is what God has given us. And so you and I must understand that he reckons us righteous by faith. Because his righteousness given to us as a free gift, our wickedness, our sin, on his account, given to him, that he died, he bore it on the cross, so that you and I might have life. So you and I must understand the persecution that is blessed of God is in His name because of Him, because we're identifying with Him. Now we consider the second point, the types of persecution that Christians must endure. There in verse 11, there's at least three mentioned there. <clears throat> blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here we have the reviling of men. Men curse you because you are followers of Christ. In John 15, 18 to 21, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. This is the separation between righteousness and wickedness. There are only two types of people, followers of Christ and followers of Satan. And here Jesus is saying they persecute you because they do not know him who sent me. They know not God. So the reviling is people who insult you, who manifest just out, outright hatred against you, that they curse you to your face or curse you behind your back, either way. There's also persecution. So this word persecution is uh, it's the same word for pursuing or chasing, that the way that a predator would chase a prey, to hunt down, to single out, to target someone. Think about how the Apostle Paul, before in his previous life as Saul of Tarsus, that he targeted Christians, that he hunted them down, that he dragged them off into prison, that he obtained these letters from the high priests, the chief priests. Uh, basically, uh, they were arrest warrants from the, from the high priest of, hey, we're allowed to capture these people and then throw them into jail. This is persecution. You think about historically what the Roman emperors used to do to Christians. Cover them with pitch. Uh, tie them up. Light them on fire to, to give light to the garden in the evening. To wrap them in animals' uh, clothing, or animal skins, right? And have hunting dogs and wild animals eat them. That these were spectacles that the world enjoyed to see because these people were despised. Our forefathers were despised. Men utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So people don't understand you, and then they misrepresent you. They say all kinds of evil about you. So what you're telling me is this, meaning that you think back to any of uh, the men in the history of the church, I remember re learning about world history. In ninth grade, I was from kindergarten through college, 100% a product of the California public school system. That's not commending the public school system because I started as, an, as a non-Christian and I came out as a Christian. Right? That's not saying this was good. But you think about in ninth grade when they taught me about John Calvin, Right in the history, when they talked about European history and all the things they said that this was a fire-breathing man who, and all kinds of horrible things. But you think about the representation. Are those things accurate? It was only later on, as I uh, opened uh, church history books, and it said, no, this wasn't our forefather John Calvin. That wasn't what he was. And you think about how people will misrepresent you. They'll make caricatures of what you've said. They'll interpret your words in the worst possible light. And then they'll just make up a whole bunch of garbage about you. 
Here, there ought to be a warning. We ought not to be so surprised. And we certainly should not be so quick to believe all the slander that you hear on the street about your brother or sister who's sitting next to you. Did you hear that? That if we're living godly in Christ Jesus, that we will suffer persecution, which includes slander and reviling and maligning. Meaning that, of all people, if you start to hear horrible things about me, come check with me first, at least, because not all of it may be true. And that we should check with you if we hear, from, uh, hear about you in terms of how you live your life. That suddenly all these things, we should not assume those things are true. You think about the things that they said about Jesus. That he was a deceiver. That the Jewish leaders actually said that our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, they called him a deceiver. They said you must guard his tomb because he said that he would rise. And this deception will be worse than the first. This deceiver. They called him a blasphemer. They called him crazy. They called him an illegitimate son of a Roman soldier. Wow. Pretty significant. Do you believe those things? You shouldn't. Because our Lord Jesus is the Son of God. And he deserves to be worshipped. You think about the character of your brother or sister sitting next to you. That... We're told in the scriptures, 1 Peter 4, 5, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. If we're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, we should expect that people will speak evil about us. In other parts of scripture, Hebrews 10, that there was... The loss of material wealth. Hebrews 10.34 That they accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better and lasting possession. The seizure of your property. Here, they did it joyfully. We're going to part with these things. This may come by undue taxation, the paying of fines, or a full-on theft. Just a sanctioned theft or a theft that goes on. He will take things from you. And here, what's happening is that in that situation, we ought to understand that the Lord would be stripping away things. When, that things, when those things, material things, get taken from us, perhaps the question you and I should be asking is, Lord, do I love these things that you've given me? Or do I love you? See, that's the question that we ought to be asking. Because if we're saying, God, we, we love your blessings, we don't know if we really love you. That's what's happening when these persecutions come. The loss of property. You think about the parable of the, of the sower and the different grounds. There was the rocky ground here. And we're told that when persecution comes, that there was no depth to the root so that when the sun came out, the seed, the plant withered and died. So that there ought to be an understanding 
that when persecution hits a nation or a people, uh, a, a, a place, that there will be some kind of extreme separation. Some men who lived in the Eastern Bloc countries, where now they have much more freedom. People interviewed them and they would ask them, well, aren't things so much better now that uh, there's freedom in your country for religion? And they said, it's better in some ways. But he says, we actually prefer it when there was the totalitarian iron fist upon the church. And people in the West were well, why? And they said, it, goes, it boils down to, is this simple? Because when that was the case, all of the hypocrites left the church. You knew that the person sitting next to you was faithful to Jesus Christ. Because when you left that house or that place of worship, that may be the last worship service you participated in, depending who was waiting out there for you. And he said, you don't understand that there, anyone who's pretending, anyone who's trying to get the fringe benefits of Christianity, they're gone. They're gone right away. You think about this loss of material wealth. We must be in love with our Lord Jesus. We must not be in love with his blessings. And that when persecution comes, that is the question that you and I will be tested with. Are we in love with the reputation that Christianity brings us? Because that good reputation can be quickly and easily lost. You'll be tried that way. You'll be tried with the wealth that gets taken. Are we ready joyfully to say we're going to part with those things? We're going to part with the good company. We're going to part with some of those friends, not because of our own foolishness, our own, own lack of love, but because of the name of Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps some of you are wondering, what is the source of these persecutions? Where do they come from? Well, they come from Satan himself. You think about the name Satan. It means slanderer. It means accuser. It comes from him. Think about the story of Job, how it started. The book of Job. That Satan is roaming around. He's restless. He's looking. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless and upright. So you think about how God understands people. That here was Satan looking for someone to devour. So there's Satan involved. There's the people of the world. That persecution generally comes from the people of the world. That the people of the world don't understand the people of the light. You look at children of Satan, children of God. There's two categories. There's the seed of the serpent. There's the seed of the woman. And there would be enmity between the two. That there was Cain and there was Abel. There was Esau, and then there was Jacob. And the list goes on and on. But perhaps what you've not considered is that besides Satan, his minions, and the people of the world, the persecution can also come from within Christ's church, other Christians. It can come from other Christians who are true, genuine Christians, due to perhaps ignorance or a lack of maturity, not knowing better. All you have to do is, is hop on any of these 
kind of social media groups where if, if only non-Christians heard about how Christians dialogued and, and name-called each other, then they kind of wonder, well, wait a minute, why, why do we want anything of that? We can just get all that in, in the world. Besides true Christians, there's also the false Christians, the hypocrites, that Satan will dis- disguise himself as an angel of light, and we're told that so will his ministers, that they will masquerade as Christians in Christ's church, in, in low offices and high offices, everything in between. If, if uh, the CIA and the FBI and uh, MI6 and the KGB, if all these institutions can, can be penetrated by spies, don't you think Satan would be smart enough to put his spies within Christ's church? And our understanding is that they may never be exposed in this life. But in due time, they will. In due time, they will. And you think about the simple matter about the gospel. What is the gospel? And perhaps some people are saying, hey, listen, if you follow Jesus Christ, he's going to make your life easy. He's going to make your life, you're going to have no more health problems. Your your financial value will go up significantly when you become a follower of Jesus. I can't think of anything else that is more contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ than when we think about this beatitude of being persecuted for righteousness sake. Meaning that if we talk about, on one hand, the health and wealth gospel, I would think that Jesus' word about being persecuted for his name, that is entirely opposite. That is entirely contrary. We talk about wealth. Well, here we're talking having our wealth taken from us. That your, your net worth will decrease when people steal from you and take from you. In, in the name of the government or in the name of whoever. And when people mistreat you, it affects, it affects your sleep. It affects your health. When, when people start to put the screws on you, perhaps literally, right? That's going to affect your health. So persecution, this is, this is contrary to the false gospels of the time. That you and I must be able to recognize that and understand it. And embrace the truth of God's word. So that's the second point. Types of persecution that Christians must endure. We have also, third point. The reasons for rejoicing in persecution. Here, Jesus says in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That you and I ought to understand that Jesus' promise is that for those who faithfully follow him, for those who desire Jesus Christ above the things of this world, he's saying that the kingdom of God belongs to people as us, who esteem Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. That if we say, hey, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings. You realize that for those who have gone through 
the, the worst of persecutions, what they've said was, I found that my true comfort is not in the good things he has given me. He's, it's in Jesus himself. The Second Corinthians 1, the very comfort with which we have been comforted. When we share the gospel with others, we're telling, hey, I've been through suffering like you. And the greatest comfort is not the mac and cheese that I make for you. It's not the biscuits and gravy that I brought over. It's actually Jesus himself. That is the true comfort of my soul. We're told also, your reward is great in heaven. In verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I ask you, if you do not believe God's promises in his word, for example, right here, for your reward is great in heaven, then what you're left is, is who cares? If we're not going to believe his word, that we, we're commanded to store up our treasures in heaven, where thieves cannot steal, where moths don't destroy, where rust doesn't destroy, if we don't believe him, then we're not going to do it. Who cares? But you and I are told to believe that God is true all the time. He never lies to us. He always tells us the truth. And that our hope can't be here. All the things that we have here are going to be taken away. All the praises that we got for following the world, they're going to be forgotten. And the only things that will matter will be the eternal things, what God thinks of you. That is the only thing that won't be added. Because when he commends you on that last day, the final judgment, the verdict that you receive, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it doesn't matter who says otherwise. In fact, there will be no voice at that point to say otherwise. No one will contradict our God at that point. So you need not worry about those things. Perhaps in this life, what we should be thinking is those woes. Are we too comfortable with the things in this life? Do you find that your own comfort and ease, your own convenience, that these things affect and drive your decisions just a little too much? Are you storing up your treasures in heaven? Or are you storing them up here on this earth so that they can be left behind when you die? You and I need to remember, we need to remember that we're just passing through this life. We're sojourners. Whether you're a citizen of this country or not, whether you're a native looking or not, doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, whatever country you're in, you are an alien. You are a sojourner. You're passing through. This world is not our home. Heaven is our home. We need to think that way. Now the reason for rejoicing is that you are in good company. Second half of verse 12. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Think about the sermon that Stephen preached. Here was Stephen in the book of Acts chapter 7. That he was being questioned by the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. And he's brought before them. 
And he preaches his farewell sermon, his final sermon. And he asks these Jewish leaders the question, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. Is there any surprise that Stephen lost his life uh, that day? And here he explains to them, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Meaning that there was a whole slew of people that God sent. God sent these prophets. And they kept killing them. And then there was that, that uh, the thing that Jesus said. Hey, what about the story about this man who owns this vineyard? <clears throat> he goes to the workers in the vineyard and says, hey, I'm expecting my, my share, my, my rent. And they beat him up and they drive him away. And, and then the owner says, I'm going to send my son. And there, the workers are saying, hey, this is the son. If we kill him, the inheritance will be ours. There's also this warning about the false prophets. Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the warning. Do you have enemies in your life? Are there people who actually hate you? If you're living as a Christian, we're living in love, we're living in kindness and charity, we should expect that people will hate us for no reason at all. And if everyone is speaking well of us, we need to ask ourselves a question, why is it that we sound like, just like what the false prophets had? Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Now I'm going to get kind of personal here. I'm starting to see myself as a Minnesotan. I hope you realize that. So I'm not speaking against anyone here. Speaking against myself. So I've understood this pattern of Minnesota nice. And if that means, hey listen, we need to treat people kindly, then we should. But if it's, hey, we're not going to take a stand for anything... That if we're having a a neighborhood get-together and we hear people misusing the Lord's name and uh, mocking Christians, that we certainly, certainly should not be jumping in there to say anything along those lines. No, we should not be. And it might be that lone voice where we have to say, hold on, I'm a Christian and I don't think you fully understood what the truth is. That's not what we believe. And... The person that I worship is Jesus Christ. He is God. He ought to be praised. I desire his name to be honored. Whatever it is. right? But being Minnesota nice and saying nothing or jumping in, I don't want to offend that person. We need to rethink some of those things. Is it our own ease? Is it our own comfort that holds us back? There's a warning. If you are living for Christ... As the light of the world. You will have enemies. You have to accept that. You're going to be hated. Jesus warned these things. And that when you draw near to Christ. You get to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's something that only those who have suffered. Who have been persecuted for righteousness sake. Will understand. There is fellowship with him. We come to a deeper understanding of Him. And I speak about it as if I've gone through it, but I haven't. So don't, think, don't take it the wrong way. 
that we ought to be able to hear and understand the things that our forefathers went through for the sake of Christ. And what they've told us is that there is great fellowship in Jesus Christ. And Jesus here says so himself, that blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And we think about some of the things that we ought to, that we ought to learn from this. The first is that you and I must be prepared for persecution. We must be prepared for it. And that begins by, by no longer saying it can't happen here. It can't happen now. It means not to get into the habit or mindset of seeking your own ease. You know, that's not convenient for me. You know, that's not easy for me. Self-denial must be part of our lives. That Jesus commanded, the man will follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Self-denial. If, if we lack self-denial, I'll tell you what, what will happen. When persecution comes, uh, there will be no self-denial, there will be Christ-denial. Because if we're not in the habit of denying ourselves, then when difficulties come because of him, we will deny him. We won't deny ourselves. There must not be a complaining spirit when suffering for Jesus Christ becomes the norm. That's being prepared for persecution. It's not a health and wealth gospel. It's persecution for the name of Christ, which is the exact opposite of those things. You and I are called that we might know Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That we need to know Christ, because if we don't, when difficulties come, we won't know who we're following. We won't know why we're following him. We'll be lost. Completely. It's especially through this fellowship of Christ's sufferings that we come to a deeper knowledge of Him. And because of that, we ought to be willing to embrace it. It is only as your worldly comforts are being stripped away from you that you come to realize that Jesus Christ is your true comfort in this life. So seek the Lord. Not for the blessings that he gives, but because he himself is that blessing. We ought to know the scriptures, for they are the lamp to our feet and the light to our path, that we might walk uprightly when difficulties come. Look at the pattern of Jesus when he was in the wilderness, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The Satan came with the scriptures slightly altered with a spin on it. And what did Jesus do? Did he fall into a fetal position and say, oh, no, I don't know those. He corrected Satan by the scriptures, which each temptation which Satan gave him. This is Christ's perfect example. He calls us to follow him. You think about the simple things. Think about how often the scriptures talk about do not fear, do not be afraid, don't be anxious, be bold, be strong, be very courageous. How often those things come up. Those are the things we must commit to memory. Because I'm going to tell you, 
this nice Bible that I have, when the difficulties come, somehow that thing will be taken away. So then what you're left with is what you have here, what you have here regarding the word that's memorized. Those are the things that you're going to be speaking to yourself to encourage you through those difficulties. Know God's design for the Christian life. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. For Jesus' words. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That these are the very things that we should be thinking about. Does, does a soldier ever serve and not suffer hunger and cold and exposure? No. But yet Jesus talks about being a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Not because we're supposed to take up arms to advance the gospel. Never. Never, never, never. But because we ought to understand what it means to suffer. But Jesus Christ, a soldier, undergoes suffering. And as you think about this matter of persecution, we should close with this thought. Will we get through it? Will it be good for us? Romans 8, 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. This is what gets you through the persecution. Because you realize that the persecution wasn't sent so that you would apostatize, that you would reject Christ. The persecution was sent so that you might understand the love of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray.